you know, we are going to be working quite a bit with the Bible today. Uh, predominantly, we're going to be working with the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, so if you would love to open that and your, uh, open your Bibles or open your uh, electronic readers, whatever you have, but make sure that you are going to be um, uh, in the Bible using the Bible app and not, and not anywhere else. So as you open this, you know, I would love to share a couple of stories with you. So the first one. You know, as you, some of you guys know that uh, God really gave a chance, some of us from our church, to go to India and then uh, just to, to be able to go there, to work with children, to share the gospel with them, uh, also to be able to spend some time with adults after the lessons and then just go to some remote villages to share the gospel with the people there. But, you know, one of the, one of the kind of neat skit like, that we put for the kids was this. So there's, there's a doctor sitting on a chair, you know, hopefully like ne next time we're going to be able to show this kid, but, you know, the doctor's sitting on, his, uh, on a chair, and then somebody comes in, like, you know, a patient comes in, and the patient is itching like crazy, right, like just itching very badly. So uh, the patient would come to the doctor, start sharing, kind of itch on him a little bit, and after the doctor would prescribe a certain medicine from itching, the doctor would be sitting there and do what? Itching, right? Just sitting there, just doing kind of like this. So the next patient comes in. You know, it's kind of interesting that that patient is coughing, right? So like, like sneezing quite a bit. So the doctor is sitting there, prescribes some medicine, the patient leaves, and not just only that he, the doctor kept on itching, he started to do what? Sneezing, right? So, and some different things comes in. Somebody just kind of jumps or yells. But it's kind of funny that the last character, a pregnant lady comes in, and the doctor was screaming like crazy, like, like flying out of the way because the doctor was a male doctor, right? So just kind of didn't want to catch that stuff. Didn't want it to become that contagious or contagious from that. You know, it's just kind of like you know, a kid situation. Another couple of situations for us to relate to is that sometimes it's really good, and I'll, I'll explain why I'll, I'll say the reason sometimes, but sometimes it's very good to be, uh, to be around successful people. Yes or no? Oh, yes, it's quite a bit. Can I hear? Because it's difficult for me to, to see you. So is it good to be around successful people? Yes or no? Yes. So thank you, the whole two of you that are sitting there. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. So, yeah, it's, it's really good to be around successful people because you can learn quite a bit. You can actually um, ask for advice. You are able to see them not only talk, but not only speak, but actually do their business or just to see, uh, like, you know, their success. And it could be anything. You know, if you'd, love, if you'd love to have great relationship in your marriage, try to spend time with a couple that actually have done it, like, you know, for, I don't know, 10, 10 15, 20 years, they're together and everything is good. So learn from them. Some people that are really successful in their business, so spend time with them, learning from them. You know, there are some people that are really successful in studying the Bible and applying the truth of the Bible to their lives. Spend time with them doing so there are some people that go on the mission trips quite a bit and they love doing that and if it it is the calling that God is placing on your heart to go uh, outside of your context for about a week or two you know we have one of those opportunities that is coming up in March March 18th through 26th is when a team of people will go to Mexico to serve to those people so if God is really calling you for that do that. Be around those people. You know, it's like catching a good bug, right? Catching a, getting a great influence, per se. 
many of those, many of those examples, many great things. Before we're going to jump into the first Thessalonians, and this is the book that we're going to be studying for the next two, uh, ten weeks, rather, you know, and in between, uh, as we're going to go through that, we are going to be able to celebrate Christmas, and uh, Christmas, Christmas is to, okay, we've already had one, but no, we're going to celebrate Easter, you know, we are going to have uh, like, you know, our church anniversary celebration before that, the Sunday before, that we're going to have a chance to do questions and answers. So as we go together through this book, write your questions down. You can talk about those questions in your connection groups that are, uh, that are taking place in different places. Um, but also, you are going to be able to send those questions to me as I'm going to be answering those questions live. Uh, I believe it's going to be April 20th. So, but at the same time, the, the book that we're studying is the First Thessalonians. But before we're going to jump into that, would you please open, just put a little bookmark uh, where you are and open with me Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to see something interesting happening in the lives of the apostles. And then we'll take this thought and it will go with us for, for the uh, remainder of those 10 weeks. So... The book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. The book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive, uh, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive anyone who is indebted to us and lead us not in a temptation. We're going to stop at this place. So what we see here is that disciples, they approached Jesus Christ and they said, Jesus, there is something is amazing or unexplainable happened to you. Every time when you pray, like God is really attentive to your prayer. Every time you pray, you know, it's kind of interesting that anything you ask, uh, God the Father gives it to you. So this is so great to see and to copy. So Jesus, would you please teach us the secret of your prayer life? So the personal life or the prayer life of Jesus Christ was so contagious that the disciples wanted to get it the same way. You know, we would read it in a different book, like it's called Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says that Jesus would get up early in the morning and go to a desolate place and pray there. Even though the day before was really filled with many things that he did. And the day ahead of it had a really busy schedule for him. Yet he dedicated and devoted this time to spend looking with his father. He valued that so much. We'll talk about the value of, like, of the word and spending time with Jesus. We'll talk about this next Sunday. But we are setting the stage for us. We're setting the example of something that people wanted to get into. And the disciples, they spent the time. They confirmed the fact that Jesus Christ had a great relationship with the Father to the point that they wanted to get the same. So today... As we're going to be talking about the contagious Christianity or contagious faith. And as we're going to be talking about this in the next 10 weeks or so. We are going to be developing that concept 
of having a great relationships. Because the Christianity is not an, a great idea. Christianity is not a great idea, as I heard many people say. Because uh, as I used to drive on the streets of Seattle, giving people rides to different places, I would talk about them, what Christianity or Christ meant to them. And often I would hear this, well, he's a great philosopher, or he's a great teacher, he was a great prophet, he was somebody famous. Someone decided to actually uh, to uh, count, not life, but our time framed uh, from birth of Jesus Christ, you know, before Jesus Christ, after his death. So okay, he was a truly remarkable person. Some, some other religions even actually incorporate Jesus Christ, or they have in their teachings or in their writings. For example, Islam, they have a person named Esau, which is Jesus Christ. You know, they take that. They say that he's a great prophet. He did quite a bit of great things. And by the way, let me share a great uh, piece of like, a truth and, um, that, uh, that would probably help you one day in discerning whether you're going to be following Jesus alone or somebody else. Is that even in the Quran, okay, in the uh, sacred book of Islam, it says that not, not Prophet Muhammad, but Jesus Christ, the Esau, will come back and he will be judging the nations, right? He will be judging the nations. So we can say that and we can see that even in their writings, we would see that not Muhammad, not any other famous person, but Jesus Christ himself will come. He has a lot of credibility. He has a lot of insight. And he will do something that only God can do, is to judge people. Only God has that right, but that right will be given to Jesus just to show that he's got that supernatural nature, right? He's been God. Other people, it's going to interest him. I mentioned before that we uh, went to India about a month or so ago. Is that when you start talking about Christ and Christianity, a lot of people say, great, we will believe in Jesus Christ. He's going to be my number 29,905 or fifth God in a lineup. It's great. I mean, we'll be, we're going to believe in our gods. We'll believe in Jesus. We'll believe in Allah. We, it doesn't really matter who to believe in. If you say he is God and you can prove me that he is God, that's great. We'll add him to the lineup. That's great. It's only when you start talking about the fact that Jesus Christ, not a God, but the God, then everything becomes different. So that quite often the paganism or those multi-God environments, they're not giving you a chance. They're not giving you a chance to enjoy the relationships. Because here's the situation. And by the way, this is very important for us as we're going to be transitioning to the first Thessalonians. Is that a lot of people, they, uh, when they try to worship a lot of many different gods, they never build the relationships. They're so busy with pleasing those gods just to make sure they're not going to get angry, just to make sure they're going to get what they want, 
just to make sure that actually they can get uh, some good favor or some funds or fertility. Or they're going to get some. They're going to be able to get some luck. There will be some gods that actually, when it comes to like you know, uh, producing crops or when as they plant things into the dirt, hoping to get something in return and mult and multiplied, they would be worshiping different gods. And sometimes those gods would contradict to one another. You know, sometimes those gods would be kind of power hungry as far as to get people's attention and devotion. And then it's going to be big mess or the big confusion happening. Who is really God that you need to be asking or pleasing? You know, that's exactly the situation that we find uh, the, uh, the believers or the people in Thessalonica as we're going to be transitioning into the into this letter, so again, would you please open with me the First Thessalonians chapter uh, one? We're, we're going to read some verses, opening statements that Apostle Paul is making to the church, and I love how he introduces that idea of Christianity in a really powerful way, and he will introduce that not from the standpoint of some additional religion or a God to be pleased, but he will introduce it from the standpoint of the greatest and the deepest relationship that anyone can have. So we're going to read this, the First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 and on. So First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 and on. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, important phrase, your work of faith, the second one, and the labor of love, and the third one, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, with, all, with full conviction. You know what kind of man we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only as the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need, uh, we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from wrath to come. I think this is the first time in our church that we read through the whole chapter. So you can mark it in your calendars. We've done it. So as we just read, we just like we see this relationship based. And by the way, I mean, if you would love to do some of the studies for yourself, please read the whole book of First Thessalonians and mark the words you, us, 
together, you and us and you and us, and we are all together. So you're going to be able to see how those beautiful relationships were being constructed and put together. I love how he starts. I'm going to be able to give you some, some of the great uh, kind of pointers, that the relationship pointers that we see here. At the beginning, we see that uh, kind of Paul and brothers are wishing those grace and peace. And then verse 2, again, we're going to refer back to this. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers... Loved by who? By God. We know, brothers, loved by you. There was a great thing happening to you. You started following the teaching that we brought. But we want you to know that you are loved by God. You are the chosen people that he has chosen you. He decided to have this relationship with you. And let me just recall or revisit this idea that the choosing or God's love didn't start with our accomplishments. God decided to love humanity. God decided to love every single one of us, not because we deserved so, but because he decided to do so. So our past mistakes, our past failures, they are not going to be taken into the account when God would be deciding to have relationship with us. Because the Bible is really clear, and we'll, we'll bring those verses quite a bit in the next 10 like in a weeks or so, is that God started the loving relationship with us before anything was created. You know, he have loved us, he has loved us before the foundation of the world. He decided to be with us together as one. He the Bible says that he foreknew us, or basically the word knowledge has everything to do with the depth of the relationships. And in the Bible, the word knowledge means that to become one with, not just the informational piece. Because God doesn't know us from the standpoint of numbers. He knows us from the standpoint of the relationships. Because we are not a number for God. We are his sons and daughters. And that's big. That's huge. Because his love is so so unconditional because anything was created. And like in, in Psalm 139, David says that before any of my days, anything, I will, when I was formed in my mother's womb, before any of my days, uh, they were all written together. So God knows anything about every single one of us. And by the way, this is so great that his knowledge of us doesn't stop him from loving us even deeper. This is so amazing. We are loved, not because we have done something, but because this someone decided to do so. Our sins are forgiven, not because we deserve the forgiveness, but because somebody decided to die for us on our behalf. He says, folks, you are so loved by God that you cannot even believe that. 
You are loved by God from the foundation of the, of the world. He chose you. He chose to love you. He is going to be working in you and shaping you and molding you. And the Bible says that he already knows the final result. We are going to be shaped in the image of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 39, or 29, rather, it says that he predestined us to be according to his son, Jesus. Because that's the only way we can stand in God's presence. So God is not going to take us home. God is not having the relationship with us. Hoping that someday, one day will be better. He already knows that. He already knows that. He says, I was waiting for you before the foundation of the world. And I saw you through earth all the way with me for the eternity. So this is why I can come to you, your sin, your past failures, or even the future, future failures, they will not surprise me. They will not surprise me. I've already paid, I've already paid it a ransom on the cross that Jesus became the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world so that everybody would benefit from his death. And as we have here the great manifestation that Christ was faithful to his promises, that Jesus Christ came on earth, he lived the life, he explained the depth of the relationship with God, he restored that relationship that some people uh, unfortunately lost track off and then he said that you know i am so real so the beauty of the christianity that is not a great idea or the philosophy that's the real relationship that we get to enjoy we don't have to earn it we don't have to, to we don't have to prove it we have to accept it and enjoy it we just have to accept it and enjoy it by the way, it's not to say then since we're saved, we can do absolutely anything. No, this is a lie. Because the Bible says that he predestined us to be like Jesus. So our idea of salvation isn't to do what we want, but to do everything what God wants from our lives. So you get to enjoy becoming like Jesus with every single day. That process is called sanctification, that we become like him with every single step of the way. This is the beauty of that. And we see that so greatly in this book of, like in the first Thessalonians. So, first, uh, the, uh, the church in Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki, it sounds like you know, today, is actually located in Greece. So uh, it used to be uh, like a part of Asia Minor or Macedonia and Achaia. So it's today's Greece and like uh, 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 forgot like Macedonia and then there is another country I forgot. It's called it starts with A, like Alban, Albania, Albania, right? So uh, it's it's that territory right there. It's kind of interesting that if it goes from Italy, that major way would be going boom south, and Greece is kind of tucked away in, like in, all the way in, like this place right here. So it's interesting that actually that was a great hideout place for a lot of people, even though there was a great uh, the, the Thessaloniki, like and it was a great uh, seaport. You know, they had a great harbor there. There was a lot of trade happening. Another thing is that that, that place 
uh, is, was the population of Thessalon, uh, Thessaloniki was about 200,000 people. It, it was just a major city back then. So, uh, great city. You know, a lot of people would go there to retire often. You know, uh, that's the place where a lot, some, of, some of the prominent people would go and spend time. It's interesting, because of the location, because of the location, a lot of times people would just run to that place for freedom. And here's the reason why. Because you, a lot of those um, like, you know, Greeks that lived in there, you know, they, even though they were a part of the Roman Empire, but they were given quite a bit of freedom. By the way, I mean, for the ladies, um, you would probably love this place because back then when a lot of ladies, they didn't have a lot of freedom, that was the single place where ladies used the freedom or the equality of rights the most. You know, even though they were part of the Roman Empire, again, they, they were given freedom. They really protected that freedom. They were governing that freedom that they had. And also, they did not want to mess with the Roman Empire at all. So if you had a crazy, ambitious idea, run to Thessaloniki, right? Live there, enjoy life. So if you have, would, would love to get some more rights for yourself, you would run there. You know, it's like modern Seattle, right? So it's kind of tucked away inside of, like, you know, on the northwest uh, corner of the United States. A lot of, uh, you know, kind of democracy per se. A lot of freedom is happening here. So I would say that we're not going to rename it, but probably going to add in, like, in periphery. Like, you know, in a little like, like sideline saying that, you know, the, the letter, not to the Thessalonians, right, but to the Seattleites. Tacoma people are included as well. So you're not going to get away. So basically, it's, that's, the, uh, that's the epistle that was written to us. And when Paul came there, the, he saw a, a lot of pagan worship. You know, there were several big worship centers that people worshipped. Also, there was a big worship to, like, to Caesar, not the salad, but the king, right? So a little different story with that. So what was happening there, that people were worshipping, they were protecting their rights and freedom. And it's kind of interesting, people were so oriented to their feelings. So you, you could not say anything out loud because it could offend somebody. It was like, you know, kind of like today. Every, everything is about me and my feelings. So like, you know, don't hurt me. Don't tell me hard truth because you be, you're going to become a hater. Who are you to say what to believe or not to believe? Who are you to impose a lot of truth so-called? I mean, you have no rights to do so. As long as we're cool with the government, as long as we fall into the government guidelines, everything is going to be okay. So we are going to exercise our freedom. We are going to exercise. We're going to be building business. You know, in, you know, there is a lot of business happening there, a lot of business opportunity. Again, like Seattle, right? So whoever is, uh, whoever is watching online and will be watching later, welcome to Seattle. Come for the opportunities, right? Bad advertisement. I'm not going to say anything about weather. So, looking at with this, looking at with this, looking at when we, we see that, that kind of a lot of different spiritualities meshed together, are a lot of philosophy and things happening there. Paul came and brought the message of the gospel. Paul came and brought the message of the gospel to this place. And it was not really, uh, there was no warm, uh, warm welcome. 
You know, if we're going to put a little bookmark or whatever mark on your devices, and we're going to go into the book, uh, book of Acts chapter 17, we're going to be able to see what was happening in Thessalon Thessaloniki back then when Apostle Paul and some of his companions came. So would you please open with me Acts chapter 17, and we're going to read together verses 1 through 9. So Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Now, when they had passed through Amphiopolis in Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as, he was, as his was custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, from the scriptures, very important, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from dead and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. We'll stop here at this moment. It's very interesting that Paul decided to do this. He was not given great examples that would be touching people's feelings. He was proving, he was providing evidence from the Bible. He was providing evidence from the Bible. And here, here is why it is so important. Because very often we make our decisions about whether I feel, how I feel about certain things. Very often we make decisions about following God and believing in God based on how I feel about this. If I get the warmy, soothing feeling that kind of God is good, then it probably is good. Often we are waiting for the certain experience or a certain situation that actually just to feel God's presence. God, you know, it's interesting. Paul says, know that God is present with you. Yes, you can feel, feel it, but don't rely on your feelings. You know, Paul grabbed the Bible, grabbed the scriptures, and he was proving those people and saying, you know, this is why Jesus is the Christ. You know, the word Jesus or the name Jesus means the deliverer and the Messiah or Christ is the sent one. So he, Jesus Christ, came on earth with the mystery with a mission to deliver his people and save them from their sins. And since he is a sent one, he is the Messiah, he is the Redeemer, he, uh, Jesus Christ had to come and do it on our behalf because we were not capable. I know a lot of information, but that's the situation that we're, uh, that we're dealing with right now, that Christ is not appealing only to our feelings. He is appealing to our hearts. When in the Bible we say, like when it talks about hearts, you know, we need to be able, the Proverbs 4.23, it says that, that we need to be careful and we need to be treasuring and storing our hearts because out of the heart comes out the springs of life. Christ would later in book of Mark, chapter 7, he says, not what comes in defiles a person, but what comes out defiles a person. Because that thing comes from the heart. When your mouth speaks, it comes from your heart. You know, sometimes when there is a tense, tense relationships, and sometimes we, we say different things and bad things, and unfortunately, I'm not a great example of best relationships ever, but sometimes when you, hey, when you say some hard stuff, it's not that it slipped away from you. It lives where? It lives in your heart. 
When, when you betray somebody, when you, do your, when, you do, when you do not do the work that you're supposed to, it comes out from your heart. It is there. So we're not dealing with emotions today. We're not dealing with feelings. We're dealing with the condition of our hearts and reasoning and responding to the truth. Don't base your relationship on, with the loving God, even though we say that love, quote, often we, we think that love is a feeling, but love isn't just a feeling. More importantly, it is a commitment. When we love somebody, it's not just about how I feel about it, it's about how committed I am to that person. You may feel the greatest warm, warm feelings to anybody in the world. But the question, the question is, are you committed to that person? So as we look, as we talk about the Christianity that is really great and people would love to follow. There people don't, I know as a fact, talking to so many different people. Talking about Christianity and their relationship with Christ. Talking about these issues okay, or questions here in Seattle, in Seattle, Tacoma area, and in different places of the world. I've noticed that well, very often when people are seeking the relationship with God, they're not seeking for just the information. They're longing for their relationships. They're longing for the relationships. So the first and the foremost thing that we believe and we have when it talks to the Christianity, that's the relationship-based atmosphere. It's the relationship-based family that God is blessing us with. So and that's, that's exactly what the people of Thessalonica they started, started seeing. There. So Paul came. He started preaching the gospel to them. He urged them. He was convincing them. He told them it has nothing, like, you know, nothing about the feelings. It has about the inner conviction and the laying the foundation and deciding and seeing and comparing. And comparing. The strength that God has and only he can provide. Because nobody... None of the people, none of the prophets, but Jesus Christ, who came on earth, he lived a great life. He showed by example what it meant to follow, uh, follow you know, the great relationship and be a part of that relationship with, you know, with God. Not only that, he died on the cross. Not only he died, he, three days later, he did what? He rose again. So we're not talking about the dead religion. We're talking about the living relationships. So again, it's the relationship standpoint. We're going to be celebrating that. It's difficult for me to wait to, uh, like, you know, for Easter time. I'm probably going to be saying quite a few things from, my, from the Easter moments. But we believe in God who is alive. Amen? You know, we believe in the living God. Living relationship, living hope. This is why when we talk about Christ and we talk about Christianity, again, we're not talking about the, the system of thoughts. We're talking about the relationships. Only Christianity has hope. Because only Christ rose again. He proved it. He proved the strength. He proved the power. So whatever we are going through, we can enjoy the relationship with God, knowing that there is nothing that will, God will be surprised about. 
He knows about us absolutely everything. He've been pre- he, uh, he has been prepared like, you know, for, like, you know, uh, f- to deal with any situation that we're going through. He has been prepared for that. If we have a great su- success, he has been prepared for that. We, if we have a loss, he has been prepared for that. If we have some hunger, physical hunger, he, like, he has been prepared for that. And he will come through and bless and lead and give you the satisfaction. When it comes to like, some emotional loss or something is happening, he, is, he has been prepared for that. He is prepared for that to deal with absolutely anything. So this is why when we see the greatest change that is happening in the lives of people that is so radical that is so radical let me finish up reading uh, looking at the story from the book of Acts so uh, again verse 3 it ends with this that this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ like nobody else and some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and did a great many of other devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men off the rabble and they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. So we saw that actually from the get-go, the Paul spent probably anywhere between three weeks to about six weeks in Thessalonica, preaching the gospel, sharing the doctrines, encouraging the Christians. And there was a big uproar happening in the, like, you know, in the city. More than that, there was a big parade, for, per se. Like, you know, there was a big crowd that started, started uh, persuading, and they so, like, you know, set their foot to do harm or go against that. So it was not... Not just personal persecution, the person named Jason who opened their house and he hosted those apostles. I mean, he was taken into the crowds. We're going to read this in a quick second. So attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. Shouting, this man who have turned the, word ups, uh, t- uh, turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them and they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar. Saying that there is, n- there is another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason... And the rest, they let them go. So this is the situation. They, uh, they started claiming that uh, Paul, look, Paul and other, uh, other men, they started uh, talking about the fact and proclaiming Jesus as king. They felt that uh, look, their status was jeopardized. You know, they wanted to do everything just to make sure that the Roman Empire was well pleased with them. So they wanted to make sure that they keep their freedom, they keep their safety, they can keep their ambitions, they can keep their religion, they can keep their freedom, they can keep their businesses, they can keep their lives intact. So they decided to basically very quickly decide there was a certain danger in Christianity. Because lives were changing. Because they were talking about something that was really dis- like not 
looking not comforting, not suitable for them, not feasible with what they wanted to do. You know, they, 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 they felt that their lifestyle was about to be threatened. And they started finding different reasons to accuse Christians and Christianity and to make the big uproar. Every time when we start hearing the gospel, when we start hearing about Jesus Christ, we love, we love, people love to pr protect themselves. You know, very often people, I would hear that, that it's really that it's really personal topic. Don't talk about this. You know, I would, not, I would love not to get there, so let's, let's skip the conversation. Well, when it comes to religion, well, all the religions, they're all together good, but okay, we don't have to follow them. But the thing is, every single time when we start confronting the truth and that we need to be changed, you either open your heart for this change, you either open your heart to Christ, or you close your heart and you start defending. And you start defending. Because sometimes that was really weird for people back then and still kind of weird or kind of difficult for people to actually fully believe in Christ. Because we talk about Christianity here in the United States that once was a Christian nation, not any longer. We talk about Christianity from the standpoint that a lot of people say that's like you know that's the way of controlling people, and unfortunately, there there were many moments in like you know, in the history of humanity when Christianity or relationship with God, and at the same time in other religions, there were they were used to manipulate people. Very often, I would hear this that people are saying there are so many different religions, or there are so many different denominations in Christianity. There are so many different people that once claimed to be Christians, but they, their lifestyle, I mean, they said one thing, but their lifestyle showed the other. There are many things and many legit things, I would say sometimes, for people to say, well, the Christianity is just another religion. Or we're not going to get into this. But what, but what we see, like, like, you know, through all of this clutter, because the question is, we can either come up with a whole lot of different excuses. We can either come up with many different excuses not to explore relationship with God, or we can leave them aside and say, God, I'm in this place for a certain reason. I would love to explore that relationship with you. Pick up the Bible and start reading it. Go to a church. That you can talk about these like, ideas. Don't try to cover up your, like, your desires. Because very often what was done with Christianity. And it could be one of the reasons why there are so many different like, denominations or different churches out there. Is that sometimes we're trying to protect our freedom. And the things that we like and would love to bring into the relationship with Christ. It's not like this. This is what happens often. God, your standards are high. But here's looking at us with, uh, with the things we like. So probably your standards need to be a little bit lower. We, we see that quite a bit. When it comes to definition of different things, of the relationship, right? It's like kind of use it or abuse it situation. When it comes to definition of marriage, what marriage is all about, what it consists of, we decide to bring that down to the things we love to enjoy or to control. 
And God says that, you know what, we're, we're not here to bargain. You know that God is not bargaining with us. He's not trying to come up with a certain compromise. He's not trying to let us look at have the things that we think are great and beneficial. He says, I'm the creator of the world. I know how everything needs to function. So I've given you the guidelines for life that you can enjoy. So instead of us trying to edit what the Bible says, we need to enjoy following what the Bible provides. What the Bible provides. And he was doing it quite a bit. Apostle Paul was doing it quite a bit, and he was sharing those different ideas. He was sharing what Christ was all about. He talked about the redemption. He talked about the forgiveness. He talked about the lives being changed. And if we would go back uh, to, the, uh, to the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, we, we read those verses. I'm, I'm going to read it one more time, verse 6. So let's open 1 Thessalonians Verses 6 through, uh, through 10, we will see this dramatic change that took or can part in people's lives. And, and he says this, verse 6, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia, in Achaia. I'll stop here for a quick second. Their faith was spreading out. The faith was growing. There was an opportunity for other people to enjoy that. So this is the situation where some people say, well, keep your faith to yourself. The thing is, if you have a living faith, it's going to grow. If you believe in God, there is, in a true God, there is no way you can contain God inside of yourself. So this is why if some people claim to believe in a God, but they keep that faith to themselves, they don't believe in God. Because if you can keep the God and hide that God inside of yourself so nobody can see, it's not a God. It's a, it's a fairy tale. It's a toy that you keep and indulge. That God will be living out. He'll be visible. Your faith will be looking visible to other people. And that's exactly what was happening with the faith of those people. You became an example. Everybody saw that. So you became an example of all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turn, how you turn to God from idols. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living God and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, from whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers, uh, delivers us from wrath to come. This is what he says. When Jesus Christ came to you, when you heard the message of salvation, your lives were changed. You know, God came to take away something that we like so that he can give us something that we can truly enjoy. 
The problem is that we've gone deaf and like, you know, we define for ourselves so many times what we like or we would love to have. We define the things that, like, that will make us happy or give, or give us a certain success. We define the definition of relationship in everything, but God says, you know what, your definition quite often, they're going against of my original, original design. I'm going to take away something that are idols in your life, and I will substitute it something that you will truly enjoy. So we started seeing those first Christians being so, so crazy. It be, before that, people will be going to many different gods trying to please them and trying to bring their sacrifice, not they're believing in only one God. How strange is that? Before that, people would go and do the pagan worship and actually would be cheating on their wives and would be getting drunk like crazy. Now they're, they're devoted to one family, to one wife, and they're sober. It used to be that they were slenders and the killers. They were abusing relationships. Now they're, they're, now they're bringing healing into the relationships. It used to be that people were only there to make some money and live for themselves and build the name for themselves. Now we see people, those people in, in Thessalonica, that they're actually using everything that they're giving in order to bless other people. We used, to be, uh, we used to see some people who were poor and there were nobodies. Now we see those Christians that are actually helping those nobodies. Also, with, like, you know, now people were like, basically were all protecting their inner like, you know, freedom in relationship and religion. Now like, we have people, they're so different that they're not just keeping their relationship with them, their Christ, I mean, Christianity or their religion to themselves. They're not saying that, well, we have a God that we cherish in our lives. Don't touch my God. Now they're sharing that, that God with absolutely everybody. And that's the, just the beginning of the list. The lives were changed. The church was affecting the community in a, greater, in a greater way. And people were so open and so sacrificial in that. This is why we, like, when we get together as the church, we love praying for one another. We love supporting each other. You know, prayer, when we pray for one another, it gives us an opportunity to, be, like, to become like, a part of somebody else's life. You can pray for that person, and God may bring the certain answer right there. Very often, when you hear somebody else's need, God will be sending you to provide for the need because he has already blessed you with a certain answer that you became or you become an answer to somebody else's prayer. As of right now, we're praying like, so that the church would grow in, even further. Like, you know, with the church, with, like, you know, uh, we're praying for, uh, even for us, like, in getting like, in the building that we can use 24-7. We love being here on this place right here. It's a great, like, you know, it's a great place for us. 
We're limited in our ability to serve others. So as of right now, we would love to become even more like in a part of the community by finding the place that we can use like in a, for the church on a 24-7 basis. That would, that would probably will provoke us and require us to be, even become more sacrificial in our praying like in, in sharing the gospel with others, in our financial giving. Because more importantly, as we say, it's not just about the funds. You know, we talk, you know, the Talking about like, the money in church is really difficult because very, very often we're going to bring it to this point is that actually, like, you know, the, well, a lot of religions are all about money. No. In many religions, people bring their finances or their resources to please their gods just to, just to make sure that they will get some credit and some favor in return. We believe that God has blessed us with some, some resources, financial and relational and physical. And we are using them not to get a favor because we've already been given a favor in, in, in Jesus Christ himself. We use that as given to us by God in order to spread the gospel like the first church did. So for us, it's the moment of worship when we decide, like when we decide following Christ, we decide to contribute into the kingdom, like with our time and efforts and the finances and some different resources. It's an opportunity for us not to get a favor from God, but to expand the gospel, to practice like, you know, that, that giving, the generosity that God has given us. This is why we love doing that. And as a church, we love praying for one another. We love contributing financially. We love supporting each other other we love spreading the gospel to the to the different places of the world that's exactly what was happening that the church is growing when the body when a body is healthy it's going to grow and it's going to produce some fruit so this is what was happening with those people. They decided to say, like, God, you are so important for us. We're going to follow you. And we're not going to follow you just with our words. We're going to follow you with our lives. And this is how it describes verse 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living God, living in true God, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from wrath to come. He says, our lives are changed now, and we are heaven bound. We enjoy that. We enjoy that so much. We enjoy this so much. So this is like a couple of takeaway points that we can take. First of all, God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Amen? God uses ordinary people like us to do his extraordinary activities or things. God can do so many through an open person. That's exactly what happened with Paul and a couple of other people who came to that place. They share the gospel. That's exactly what happened with the church. They, uh, they accepted the word. That for, the church was formed. The pastors were like, appointed for, like, for this church. The church was growing in their, in their love for God, in their generosity for the community, in their position in the community. So faith, you know, Christianity is not personal. When we talk about our faith and living relationship with God, it's not a personal matter. Has never been. 
We can enjoy that personally as a salvation that is given to us. And we are going to be, like, we're going to be remembering Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. Putting his life for us as the payment for our sin, as the atonement for our sins. We're going to do that in about a couple of minutes. One of our brothers are going to be standing here, and one of them is going to be holding pieces of bread, and the second one is going to be holding a tray with little cups filled with wine. That's going to be representing Jesus Christ. We're going to remember what he did for us, that he came on earth, that he lived his life. And he said that I was really serious about this. I was really serious about this. Him being God coming on earth, sacrificing himself to the point of bringing his life down for the sake of other people. So this is why. When we talk about Christianity, it's a relationship. When we talk about this, when we talk about the family, we, we know one thing. When, when we have great relationship inside, inside of our families. And when some of our family members will be in danger, we're going to go as far as even giving our lives for that person. We're going to go as far as giving our lives for that person. We are a family for God. And He has given His life away for us. He went went to the point of the cross so that he can give us that restored relationship with him. It's not about what you have done. It's everything about what he has done on the cross. So we, we see that Christianity, when it came in, like to the, to the city of Thessaloniki, and it started a great movement there. People's lives were changed, and the church is, is not, should, should not be known just by the doctrines it, it preaches, but by, by, uh, by the changed lives it produces. So today is the moment for us to enjoy that relationship with God, to claim His beauty and His riches, to see that today, again, the Christianity is not about the religion. It's about the relationship. So the question is today, The question that we need to all think about is this. Do I love God? The question isn't if I believe in Him or not. The question isn't because the, when it comes just to only mere belief, the, in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 19, it says, even the demons believe and shudder. Some person may say, like, you believe in God, you do well, but know this, oh, you're a person that even demons believe in shudder. So we're talking about, we're talking about changed lives. Our faith in Christ would be visible. His relationship with us will be changing our lives for good, forever, for eternity. And only then we can understand the reason why people were so sacrificial with their lives, with their funds, with their family, with their strength, was that for, uh, for the Christians, death is not the end of the story. It's just a transitional point. 
because our citizenship is in heaven from where we await for Christ. So, God can do so many things from a regular person when the person's life will be in God's hands. Are your lives in God's hands? Do you have that life-changing relationship with Jesus that defines your life? Or do you still try to manage your life with your own definitions? And that's the question that we're going to be, uh, we're going to be answering. And that's the relationship we're going to be pursuing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity of coming, coming into your presence. We just the ordinary people that were changed by you, that were changed by your grace, that, were, that our lives were changed, or some of our lives were changed forever. And we're asking right now, first of all, for the people that are, are in a desperate need of you right now. We're still probably looking back to what they have done or something happened to them. I'm, I'm asking you so that you would give them forgiveness, so that you would give them repentance, so that you would give them the joy of the new resurrected life. We thank you for, like, for, for, uh, for giving us a chance to see your love through this, uh, through this, uh, through Bible, and like you know, thank you for giving us a chance to see your love through this First uh, Thessalonians, this book that was uh, uh, left for us to get to know you better and deeper. So we thank you that, like you know, we see that we are in lines today, so that our lives would be changed. We're not. We don't want to play Christianity. We want to have and live like a by great and deep relationship with you. So we ask you so that you would clean us from our from within, so that you would give give us to enjoy that forgiveness, not just based on feelings, but based on understanding based on conviction and we're convicted of your love we're convicted of your grace we're convicted of our sinfulness and we are convicted of the truth that we need to repent of our sins to start the relationship with you so please work in us accept us into your glory accept us into your family and let us live as the family in you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.